We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Client Horror Stories. I'm excited to have today our first attorney on. We've, we've, I've interviewed people from lots and lots of different professions, but not a lawyer before, so you can hear a different perspective on Client Horror Stories. Welcome to the show, Rachel Brinke. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you did. You did. Thanks for having me. I always almost cringe when people lead with that I'm an attorney because I feel like I can almost hear the apps closing, the, the laptops being shut because who wants to listen to a lawyer? But I promise um, I'm a little bit more, I think, relatable than most. I was a small business owner prior to being a lawyer. I'm a mom of five, so I try to keep it real. Mom of five. I know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think the same thing every day. That's kind of the same look I have when they gather around the island and they're like, feed me. I'm like, where did all you people come from? <laughs> I know this is going to be a good episode because you're already funny 30 seconds in. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll see. Yeah, you're putting the pressure on me now. Lawyer, funny. <laughs> <laughs> funny and a lawyer. That could be your uh, marketing competitive. <laughs> Everyone's scared of lawyers. No, I'm the funny one. I'm I am the funny one. Yeah, you know what, though, is so funny is that, in, in, you know, with us talking client horror stories, you would think as an attorney, I would have so many horror stories. And when we were prepping for this, it actually was very difficult. We're going to get into the story and everything, but it was actually kind of difficult for me to come up with my own client horror stories because of what we're going to talk about today and like the lessons I learned from having like my own type of horror story in life. Uh, but yeah, it's just was funny because I'm even this morning I was talking to my husband I'm like I don't really have an, my own client horror story there's little things you fix but nothing like super dramatic and so actually I think that kind of reinforces what we're going to talk about today yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to the meet in a second but that's a good point you made ahead though by the way because when you usually people hire attorneys when they're in a crisis situation so your job is kind of just putting out other people's fires so that from day one, you're like seeing all the client heart stories. Yeah. So it's easier for you to learn the lessons and uh, very quickly. I mean, but I'll tell you a secret, like I may be an attorney, but it's almost like the cobbler's children have no shoes. I, my legal stuff comes last almost sometimes. And I don't want to spend as a business owner, right? I own a law firm, but I own other businesses as well. I don't want to spend my time cleaning up messes, paying a lawyer, you know, or even paying my own staff to have to clean up messes. And I've, I've had that perspective for so long is that I want to be able to spend the times on business and life of the things that I want to do. And so that's kind of my whole thing. Like if you check me out, I'm a completely different attorney and that I'm like, come on, let's prevent the stuff because you're going to end up spending more time, money, and energy and stress trying to clean stuff up later. And I just, I, I will help you clean up your mess, but I will make you then get your stuff to Together for the future so you don't have to have messes you know we can't avoid everything which is kind of the whole premise 
of this podcast, life happens, people are there, but I'm definitely one of those that when you hear these horror stories, and that's what I absolutely love about this podcast and like what you're putting out is there's so many lessons to learn so you can avoid it and not just to avoid the stress, but the time and money is so huge. And you'll hear in our story, like for me, I'm very keenly aware of how finite that is. And so I bring that to myself and to my clients, just that we don't want to waste time on stuff that's ugh, no fun. Yeah, the, the um, shoemaker's children going shoeless is, <laughs> it, is an important lesson to keep, uh, to keep in mind um, because on the one level, it, it kind of feels like a contradiction. Pay me to do something, but I won't even pay myself to do it. But on, on the other hand, I think what a lot, a lot of people misinterpret that because I think when you're a cobbler, like when you're a lawyer, you just have a very intuitive sense of the risk factors and how to manage it and what to say so that so that you can just manage it in a very natural way yeah. that someone who's not a lawyer can't, for example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like I said, it's so funny because we'll have legal stuff that pops up and I'm like, oh, I got to deal with this. And I'm like, wait, I own a law firm. I have a staff that can help me deal with this. So if I have those little struggles, like I just think back to before I was an attorney, what it was oh. like then in like with client horror story stuff. I'm like, we got to prevent, we got to work to prevent this stuff. Totally. On that point, I'll make one other side observation. Everyone might find interesting. And then we'll jump into today's story, which is my personal way to reconcile the shoemaker's children go shoeless when I hire professionals in any profession, especially lawyers. So a lot of professionals, the preferred style of giving professional advice is to present options. Well, you could do this, here's the good and bad, here are the risk factors, or this, I'm presenting them and, let, and, uh, and letting the, the person balance it out themselves. So that advice is so, that style of advice is so common. And what I almost always do is I like asking professionals, if you were in my shoes, which of the options would you do? And, and by the way, especially that with doctors, and it's incredible, especially with doctors, like mm -hmm. they'll recommend the surgery and these incredible things that for that for themselves, they'll go, they'll go a very different strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I love you said that because, you know, as you're saying it, it kind of solidified what I've been doing and kind of like what I shared here leads clients when they come to me, I give them the options because I'm legally required to, but at the end of the day, they go, what would you do? What do you think? And they almost, almost blindly trust because they know my whole perspective of saving time, money, and energy and putting it towards things exactly. you actually want to put it into. So with, with all this buildup and pressure, yeah. Now it has. Now the story has to be amazing. Let's no, jump. <laughs> no pressure at all. If the story is bad, I'll just ask you for some tacos. <laughs> yeah, right. Le I will trade legal advice for tacos, for tacos. <laughs> every day, all day. <laughs> um, and I, I, and, and and with no pressure at all, let's mm. dive into your story. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could, we can go ahead and give them the zinger at this point. We've been alluding to it so far. Um, my client horror story kind of started with my own type of life situation that didn't even have to do with clients necessarily, but it could have had a really disastrous impact on my clients and it could have led to more horror stories. And it doesn't mean that it was all gravy. You know, we sit here, we, we're kind of laughing and joking and I'm like, oh, I learned these lessons from this event, which I'm gonna share in a second. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I have rose colored glasses every day. I don't jump out of the bed in the morning and the birds are singing and we do a little dance together like on Disney movies. Like it's, 
at the end of the day, it's still something that I have to remind myself. And so again, even as we just kind of gave the whole preface of how I approach clients and my own businesses, it's still like a muscle that I have to work routinely. Um, as an aside, you know, we're sharing all this. Now I compete with Team USA for triathlons and I never thought I would have that capability. And so I just kind of equate it the same way of that every, I can't just go out and run a marathon. I can't go out and just do an Ironman. I have to exercise it all the time. And I think for us to prevent client issues and horror stories popping up, there's little things we always have to exercise. And so I share all that to say that my horror story kind of really started when I was 20 and was diagnosed with cancer. I mean, you don't think Ooh. at 20, 20. That have cancer It's just the, and I didn't even honestly believe it. In fact, I'm not even sure I really shared this publicly before. Um, in 2005 was when we found the lump in my throat. And I was pregnant at the time. And so doctors kept saying, oh, it's not cancerous, not cancerous. You don't fit into the age group. And I was like, what do you mean? It was kind of like this purgatory age group. You either needed to be child or extremely geriatric. And it's really was meant for more like geriatric individuals. And they kept telling me, don't worry and don't worry about it. And I kind of convinced myself of, all right, well, the doctors say it's no big deal, despite the fact, and keeping in mind, we were pregnant with our first at the time. He's 17 now. He's like a whole right. foot taller than me. <laughs> when I ground him, I have to look up at him. Um, but so we didn't really know with being first pregnancy and the cancer, we didn't know where the symptoms, like the excessive weight gain, like 60 pounds in three months, was that just my body? going through pregnancy or was it cancer? And in the, so we ended up putting off surgery. I electively chose to do that because I was pregnant, but I still was in this mindset at like 2021 of, well, I'm invincible, can never happen to me. And it was almost endorsed by the doctors who were saying, well, not your age, it's probably benign. So fast forward about two years, it was in my body. And I finally was like, okay, it was getting bigger in my neck. And so I'm like, okay, let's but, get this but Go ahead. So, so, so you had given birth. So, so at, at this time, so no, no, no longer pregnant. No longer pregnant. So I, in 2005, I had had the oldest and then I, my husband was in and out deployed to Iraq. It was the height of the Iraq war at that time. And so he was constantly gone and um, I have very supportive parents. So my parents were helping as much as they could from long distance, but yeah, I, I kind of sat on the back burner of it because I'm like, it really wouldn't happen to me, which is really a lot like what I hear a lot of my legal clients when they have an issue, they say, never really thought this problem would happen to me. Um, not trying to downplay cancer or an equate it, just kind of that whole perspective mentality of I should have probably taken the cancer a bit more serious. And if I had, it probably had not been such a prolonged um, recovery and treatment type process. So that's a lesson I learned there. But as an aside, so about two years from discovering the lump to when I had it taken out, multiple surgeries, even through the surgeries, doctors were still saying, we don't think it's malignant. And then they send it off to pathology and it comes back. And one of the other things that I learned in this process was when I got the diagnosis, it wasn't like you see on the TV where they call you in, they sit you down, they push the Kleenex box across the counter, they hold your hand. You know what I mean? Like I didn't get any of that. And maybe it's because it was military medicine, but something happened and I had a wonderful care team. So don't get me wrong. It just, I think in the communication process of the care team, the doctor got the pathology reports, 
told them to schedule me, but somehow I never got that whole call her in, tell her she's diagnosed and she's malignant and this is a lifelong thing that she's going to face. And so I've got some like sterile phone call and bless that woman's heart. I wish I knew her name because she calls and I distinctly remember where I was sitting and I'm bridging this to client horror stories here in a second, but I distinctly remember sitting on the floor. My son was only just shy of two years old and thinking I can still feel the carpet. I can smell the smells. I can feel all the things. And this was before iPhones. It was like a little like crotchety flip phone that was probably like duct taped together because they, they don't hold up the way that iPhones do now. But um, I remember her saying, we need to schedule to take your can your malignant tumor out. And I go, do what? And she goes, oh dear. And I was like, oh dear, yes. Anyways, it wasn't her fault, got scheduled, did all the treatments. Um, but I learned out of that lesson, uh, especially working in a field that I work in where there's bad news, et cetera. And I'm very matter of fact, right? I'm not very glittery, sparkly. I'm very, let's cut through the BS and get to the answer. But that is almost a lesson that I've carried over from this cancer treatment stuff of, if you're giving someone bad news, like if I'm going to a client and I'm wanting to try to prevent them being unhappy with me or, you know, trying to reduce potential increase in anxiety for them, I can't just cut to the chase of being like, oh, well, you're being sued for $25,000 and they're a small business. You know, I, I have to take that Kleenex across the, you know, maybe not in that physical way, but right, right. that was a lesson I learned of more of a white glove handholding approach with clients. And I still have to remind myself that though today, because it's very easy to get into what you're doing, no matter what industry you're in and trying to cut to the chase, um, especially when you're trying to reduce the amount of time you're um, working on certain things, et cetera. So yeah, that's so, where so the, the cancer is so, where it all started. Wow. So this is um, a power, powerful story. Um, it's interesting, like, since you've had cancer, you can talk about it kind of like people like I'm Jewish, so I can make fun of the Jewish conspiracy running the world. But if a non-Jew said, right. hey, the Jewish Illuminati Masons are running the world, I'm like right. anti-Semite evil. So like you haven't been through cancer, you can talk about it um, and create these metaphors in, in a way, um, in a way I can. No, I agree. And don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying cancer. I'm very, very lucky to have had one that was fairly, fairly cut and dry, right? Like they cut my neck out twice. <laughs> And they like took stuff out and then I had all sorts, you know, radiation and treatments like right. that. So I, I, I may have a completely different right. perspective, but I've talked to other cancer survivors. I'm in a book called one habit a day to beat cancer. And I've talked to some of those other individuals. And just like I shared at the very beginning, just cause, and I hope, and I share this for those that are listening, everyone has some sort of traumatic event in life and hopefully you've learned from it, taken the good from it and, you know, healed the bad and a lot. But my point is a lot of those cancer survivors have also kind of had the same perspective. We don't have the rose colored glasses all the time. Is something we have to work on but it's also what little lessons can we glean that we can turn around and use so, to make life right. better for everyone else around us so, so i think this is a powerful conversation in the context of client art stories because i think just from the story you told we can extract out multiple client management lessons one you ended you ended with which i just want to re, uh repeat and reinforce which is which is bad news or potentially bad news has to be delivered with care. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think a lot of people, and I especially work a lot with software developers who more often not tend to be more on the autistic side of the spectrum. Uh -huh. So it's hard for them to realize 
like like how the matter in fact does come like comes out like, so which is why Almost i am caring even though they it's not that they don't care i get what you mean yeah lawyers yeah, can be that way too <laughs> definitely so so my general form of that advice is when you deliver bad news i would recommend to to be more caring than your natural instinct your natural instinct is to say it in this sort of nice way just like up the caringness language and emotions and time to mm-hmm. do that so so that's that's that would be my framing of the um, of, of the last lesson from that but also from from the story that you shared there are a couple of other lessons that um that that, that i think that i think we can that we can get out one is you glossed over a point in the beginning which i think was important you're like I was 20 and thought I was invincible and, <laughs> and, and it could never, and it could never happen to me. And, um, and it's really funny how, um, how a lot of the client horror stories happen because people they start client work, start project work. And in the very beginning, you're like, Oh, there's a 1% chance of this little thing. So I'm just not, I'm just not going to worry about it. And I think one of the lessons is yes. 1% chance is actually huge. Yes. And, yeah. Well, and so, I'm so glad you brought that up because one thing I always try to say is I'm not saying this stuff as, excuse me, as an attorney, I'm saying this someone who wants to avoid having to go through the pain of that sort of stuff. And even in this process, like I, I didn't share this yet and we can come back to your points. Uh, but on that note, it's also about communication with clients. So there's like the legal setup, having contracts, it's a communication tool, assess expectations, but there's other communication. Cause actually when I went through this after the surgeries, I had to be isolated into um, radiation. So I couldn't be around my son. Army didn't let my husband come home. So thankfully my mom was able to fly to Texas and be Ooh. with me. But it's so funny. I was in quarantine for a couple of days cause no one could come near me. I was literally radioactive didn't turn into Spider-Man or anything. That would have been kind of cool. But I remember getting into the elevator to leave. And one of my clients was in the elevator and they didn't, luckily they didn't recognize me because I was a hot mess from three days of being quarantined and you swell up because they have you on like constant IVs because they're trying to flush out the, um, the radiation out of your body. That's how you get rid of it, like perspiring in urination. And so my client didn't recognize me, but I remember getting an email from them being like, hey, haven't heard from you. And I realized in that moment, and I'm not saying like rush to share like your traumatic events with your clients or your customers, but if you set, you know, I wish now looking back that I, and mind you, again, this is before iPhones, Wi-Fi really was hardly a thing dating myself. Um, So I didn't really have constant access to be able to email a client, even from quarantine. I regret not informing my clients, hey, I would be out of pocket for a couple of days because in the, and at the time I didn't have a team. I didn't have someone managing my email. I was in my first few years of entrepreneurship. I didn't have the money and and ability to have a team. I didn't really have the money at all. Uh, I wouldn't even know, wouldn't have known how to manage a team. Anyways, my point with that is the customer ended up, the client ended up having almost a decreased confidence in me simply because they hadn't heard from me. Now there's a balance in this, right? We don't want to jump to being on our clients every living, breathing minute of the day. You have to have boundaries. But to my point of like what you were saying with, um, you know, I thought I was invincible or it's really 
I allow that mentality to override what I knew business-wise. And I should have just upfront told the clients, I'm going to be out of pocket for three or four days. I'll get your emails when I come back. I didn't even have an autoresponder up saying this sort of thing. And even then that I don't, I don't, I wouldn't suggest like a reactive type of approach. It needed to be a proactive direct communication for me. And so I didn't really have a major issue with that client, but I do remember them being like, yo, we haven't heard from you what's the deal? And I could just feel their confidence in me waning a bit when I could have prevented that. So, so a few things, great example in, uh, uh, with, um, with this also in all the episodes so far in the podcast, this is great advice that no one has mentioned so far. That Ooh, if you're going I get an award. <laughs> award. Yeah. It's, it's a, a bit too often. Some of the advice is repetitive. Maybe I should have documented this and then, um, but that that's great advice that if you're going to be out of pocket just just tell just tell everyone and mm-hmm. and i think this goes to goes to a mindset that a lot of professionals especially younger professionals have which is if anything is not super positive you don't want to tell the client and even like i'm going to be away for a week that's not bad you're human so it's not so it's it's not bad news at all but but because it's not super positive so many people are scared to say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be off um, offline." Mm-hmm. And what I'll add is, of the there, the last few years of the COVID pandemic era, is a lot of bad has happened. It's been a little terrible in many ways. But one of the good things is I've noticed that in these last two years, people become more open about sharing. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be offline. I'm feeling sick. So so now so. Luckily, that that sort of norm is um, uh, is is adjusting a bit. And I get it. You can't always predict it. You know, for example, um, I got COVID two months ago, and I just the second I knew, I mean, I already wasn't feeling well, obviously. So the second that I even had an inkling, and I'm not saying it delay your whole business out there. It really is just. You know, I think this is one of the things that a lot of people don't really talk about. And if you put your own consumer hat on it, you'll realize how often that your own confidence, your buyer's confidence in something or someone erodes little by little. And so oftentimes client horror stories don't happen because of one major issue. It's actually an issue that was moderate or just the final little issue and a string of a whole bunch of little issues. It's just that erosion constantly and communication is so key. And, you know, I always try to look, especially with pandemic, you just hit it on the head of like the silver linings that have come out of it. And I feel like clients especially are a lot more accepting now. I think of more like flexible work styles and boundaries of work hours. And so it is a balance, but I think really the big thing as a business owner, it's on us to set those expectations and the boundaries, because also what happens that we haven't touched on yet is if you don't communicate as the business owner, frankly, and I'm getting on a soapbox here a little bit, I don't believe that you get a right to feel resentful towards your client. For example, if you don't set the expectations of, oh, it's gonna be a 48 hour turnaround for whatever it is, and your clients in the inbox within 12 hours after paying you asking where the product or the service is, you can't have this attitude of, I mean, you can, you can do whatever you want, but I don't think you should have, this is not (laughs) gonna serve your mindset of going, oh my God, why is that client already emailing me? And I see this a lot actually with clients who end up in client horror stories because I'm the I'm the doctor that helps to fix the client horror stories and what happens is if you'd set the expectations and it, it, it think of it like a um 
almost like a snowball. You're gathering all these little flakes of little issues together. You didn't inform the client. The client doesn't know any better. So maybe they're just excited for you to deliver that logo or contract or whatever it is that you're offering. And so they're asking about it, but then you get resentful in return because you're like, oh my God, why are they expecting this of me? Then they're going to feel your resentment. You see how it just like, and that, that is how client horror stories are made. <laughs> The end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I this is a second first in in this series because a lot of the episodes are about articulating this little thing happened in this and this little thing. So that's the form of most of them. But I think this is actually the first time we've stepped back to mm -hmm. say uh, to have this general view uh, of like of explicitly observing that it's rarely one big moment, but just but just the collection of um mm -hmm. of lots and lots of moments. And I think. Uh, part of maturing as a professional and also what this series tries to do is to help people identify these really, really, really little things uh, uh, to, uh, to, to, pay, to, to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And um, you start working with someone and then, oh, they just um, won't, won't sign a contract. They, they just always forget to, forget to, forget to. Red flag, red flag. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. like a little flag in my office. <laughs> Exactly. When you're when you're younger or just starting, or you need the money, you're like, oh, oh, I've known him for ten years. He'll be fine. But eventually, it's like, wait a minute, that's a red flag. Those are the ones that actually become the worst. And it's funny because I work with a lot of partnerships, so businesses that get together, friends that come together to create partnerships. And it's always said to me, I just had one this past week. Love the clients, but like, oh, we've been sis, you know, we're sisters, and then we're bringing in a friend we've known for forty years. And I'm like, ladies, I don't care. I mean, I do care. I love and care. But like to, on the legal side of things, you even though you're sisters, you don't know what'll happen because we've seen it. And so it's, you know, and I understand that lawyers have like this rap for looking for the worst and things, but that's why we're good at what we do. And I think that business owners, you kind of need to go into that as well to avoid client horror stories of what is the worst that can happen here? Help to put measures in place to prevent it. But the reality is, and something I wanted to say, what you just said is you're not going to be able to prevent everything. And it's you, and I love that you guys can sit and consume this podcast. You can listen to my podcast. I'm very preventive based, but the reality is, and you just said it, there's maturity that just happens through exercise and business. And so I love that if you're committing to learning this stuff, listening to these episodes, but don't think that, oh, I finished all of the episodes, I'm good to go. It's really just by practice and every, we always, one of the big things that I always try to do with every client or every process, we look back and go, what worked, what didn't work? And I know that's very difficult sometimes when things are super busy and you're so focused on trying to output to clients, output to family, output to self-care, all this sort of stuff. But I'll tell you, you're, if you really get into a horror story that, escalates into a legal situation and you're going to be kicking yourself for not taking the time at the end of ev whatever it is maybe you send out an email blast and you're checking the kpis or you work with a client from beginning to end and if you haven't sat and done and put into your schedule the evaluation of those things it, it's a preventive thing right it's going back to the exercise metaphor and i'm i hope my coach isn't watching this um i am the worst at this I know that if I would warm up and stretch before I run and stretch after, I would prevent injuries. But what do I do? Oh man, I'm in between podcasts. I got to go get this running because I got to go get the kids later. So I skip it. What ends up happening? I get injured and then am prolonged in my progress. 
my, my coach is probably going to text me and be like, you do that all the time. So do as I say, not as I do, but equate that to this. Always make sure that you're evaluating because you can listen to this stuff all day long. And I think it's wonderful, but you hit on it. You'll grow maturity as a business owner by looking at what your internal workings and what you are doing. You have to be honest with yourself too. I think that's also really difficult to do. Um, intelligence agencies have a concept called an AAR or an after action review. And basically after any little thing happens, just like is you just ask yourself in this formal sentence sort of like five questions. What do you expect to happen? What actually happened? Yeah. What like, like what, like how come your expectations didn't happen? What are you going to do differently next time? And I've adopted the AAR approach after like every little sprint, after every little thing, here's the AR form, just fill it out to the main people. And it's actually, since I started doing that a few years ago, it's been incredible to me how like, how much, uh, how, mm -hmm. how many lessons actually come out of like things that I didn't even see, but people on my team. So revealing. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, as, and I actually, if you're someone who's sitting here almost 20 years in business, like I am, even yesterday, we were going over and looking at historical data and reports. I'm in my office going, oh my gosh, I wouldn't have thought that. And so, you know, you want to listen to your intuition to a point, but you, you can't ignore the data. So listening to your clients, coming back on the client horror stories, oftentimes, let's take the example of the client that didn't see me in the elevator, didn't recognize me, then ended up sending me an email. Maybe he did. He was just trying to be nice because I was a hot mess. <laughs> um, but what, what, it was a simple, like couple sentence email of, Hey, just checking in, hadn't heard from you on the surface seems very benign, but by my, I pause and go, okay, you know, did I not set an expectation properly? Is the client, did I set the wrong expectation? You know, could I have prevented this by communication? And how do I heal it going now? Like, how do I bolster that confidence back up now? And, and you know, going back to something you said earlier, you know, being in pandemic, people are a lot more transparent, I think, about things. I'm not saying that if you have cancer, you need to go out and tell the world. Uh, for a long time, I didn't really share about it. It wasn't shamed or anything. I just wasn't I wasn't sure like how it fit into my story of how it could help people. And now we're here talking about it. But so if you have a traumatic event, you don't have to share specifics. So it's, it's formulating a way that you're able just set the boundary of, hey, I'm going to be out of pocket. You don't have to justify it. And I do think that we're getting better. I'm so glad about that as a society because of the work from home and all the stuff the last few years, I think we are getting better at just accepting, oh, okay, they're out for a week. Well, maybe it's COVID. Maybe they just need time off. You know, maybe they're having mental health and they don't have to know specifics. And you don't, even if you feel compelled to maybe stop yourself, if you're not comfortable putting out there for whatever reason, I don't necessarily, I don't, I think my point is, Share what you're comfortable to, but don't feel like you have to share all the gruesome details in order to avoid issues. Like you can say enough without saying everything to accomplish what you're trying to avoid, the client horror story stuff. That, that is excellent advice. Um, do you have any, any other thoughts? Because a few minutes ago, you alluded to saying that you had that there's some more general advice you, that, that you want to get to or another aspect on the story because we went off on a tangent on a tangent on a tangent. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I think I've looped most of it in. I think, you know, the common theme here is obviously prevention as much as possible, learning from lessons when you haven't been able to prevent. Um, 
No, I think we hit most everything. You know, luckily for me in my journey of this, I was able to heal that with the client. I didn't tell them that I had cancer. I just said, oh, I'm sorry, I had a medical issue, it was out of pocket. What can we, you know, what action items can I do now? And also, I think it depends on what kind of industry you're in, right? Are you offering personal services and how intimate are you with your clients? Like almost all my clients end up becoming friends or we're in like the same type of circle. So they know, and I'm pretty transparent with a lot of things that go on in my life anyways. And just cause like the whole personal branding and I love the connection, but if you're someone that is in an industry where, you know, maybe you're selling a widget off a shelf or a product and you're not the sole face and the customers don't necessarily need you now is the time maybe to forward plan of okay something's gonna happen right it's not if an issue happens it's gonna be when whether it's pandemic if it's covid if it's cancer if it's you get into a car accident or maybe you just get to a point you feel so overworked and you need some time off this is where i would encourage this is another area i see a lot of times <laughs> clients come to me. So I do business strategy consulting as well outside of legal and they'll come to me feeling burnt out. And it's a couple of things. I'll, I'll say, okay, are you burnt out? Why? And they'll say, oh, I'm having all these problems with clients. And we'll kind of work through the process like we just talked about. But oftentimes they were burnout, which caused the client problems, which caused more burnout. So, you know, reverse engineering it, what was actually the root of the issue? It's so easy as a business owner, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's easy as a business owner to blame the client. Oh, they're just entitled and want an immediate response. Now, there are clients that do that, right? But as long as you set the expectation, you're alleviated of any responsibility for that. Um, that's all. That's them. That's all on them. You can't fix that, especially in this day and age where people expect instant access to things. Um, but yeah, it's really about reverse engineering and finding the root of the problem. And I know but, it's very difficult. If you're sitting here listening, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm having all these client horror stories, all these things going on. Now is the time to honestly pause your business if you can, finish out those clients, and, or at least bring someone in to come help you so you can take the time like we talked about and figure out, it's like triage. Where are you bleeding from? Or on a boat, where are you leaking? Because the leaking will accumulate. Even though it might be 1% here, 1% there, it does accumulate. Now in the inverse, and I didn't make this up, this is from the book Atomic Habits, wonderful book, just even in the first chapter is like, um, he talks about moving the needle every day only needs to be 1% because it's compounding, but that uh, that's good and alleviates a lot of stress when you're like, oh my God, how do I fix my client process? How do I avoid problems? Just work on it 1% every day. But in the inverse, every day you don't work on it is another 1% compounding to the negative that can really end up into large issues. Um, I mean, like one of the last things I'll leave here is that I can't even tell you how many times, and we already addressed this a bit, but clients will say, I never thought. I would have my clients would say I would never would have thought I would have had these problems and they're on the phone crying and I remember very distinctly I had a single mom she was just going through a horrible divorce she didn't have a lot of money and she had a client that was like trying to sue her and all these sort of things and I just remember her crying how thankful she was that I could help her and it wasn't just helping her fix the legal issues but it was helping so that she didn't have to go through this again and I I just circling back around the whole in, invincibility mindset, 
we're not invincible. We all have finite numbers of the day, finite numbers of years. I mean, I could die tomorrow. Like we don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I've got a lot of legal advice and talk to give and tacos to eat. Um, and I know this sounds cliche, but listen to me. If any part of this story or what we've talked about has resonated with you, I can't even impress. And again, I have to remind myself of this every day. I don't have the rose-colored glasses on, but we only have a finite time. And so this is why with me, with my clients, we try to avoid as many issues as possible so we can have time for the life that we want to live. Because if you look at it as a pie, you got all the business stuff you've got to do. Then you have all this life stuff you want to do. Which do you think is going to get taken from when you have a client horror story and issue to clean up? It's going to take from your life because you can't take off from the client stuff because you need the money to keep everything going in order to live. So your life portion of the pie starts getting smaller in order to make room for cleaning up of the issues. And so I just really encourage you guys, um, listen to these horror stories. And, and I know I didn't really share any of mine. I have some, I, I, could, I actually do have, I wouldn't say it's a full horror story, but well, can I share it? Do we have time? Yeah, we I'm having fun. So yes, however, before, uh, another way in which I, this conversation is unique is usually most people I interview uh, have this human necessity called breathing and they pause to breathe so I can comment. But <laughs> it not breathe and say so much. So I'm like, want to press back on the, uh, the back button on the web browser about six times. And before your mini story to wrap up, I want to comment. I want to comment on some on something you said, which is you made a really useful point. Which again, actually, I don't think anyone has made. This is a little bit of a step back episode, so I which is why I'm liking it. Uh, exactly. Of it's easy to blame the client. I think that especially client horror stories. It's almost almost by the title about the bad the, the bad things that client did, and um, you made such a good point where that's actually the easy way out and the way you mature and the way I'd frame it or the way I'd frame your point is that's the easy way out and the way you mature as a professional is by precisely not doing that instead trying to internalize the mm -hmm. lessons one process that I use on my team to do that is the ARs I mentioned before because that's a formal way to lessons mm -hmm. but on the personal level the way um the way I do this in all relationships and this is client relationships non-work, personal, personal relationships, human, human relationships, <laughs> life relationships, mm -hmm. is I just take as an article of faith and belief. So it's just like a belief I have that doesn't necessarily correspond to reality, but it's just what I choose to believe that every single breakdown or problem is 50% their fault, 50% my fault. Mm -hmm. In reality, maybe it's 90% my fault. Maybe it's only 2% uh, their fault. Doesn't matter. But because I choose to believe it's 50% my fault, what that does is that always leads me to say, okay, like what could I have, even if it, even like, like literally until you're God, like until you're perfect, you can always improve. So, so, as, so as a result, okay, even though the client was a disaster, did, 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 oh, I should have got this in writing and followed up on that and be more proactive about this did, 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 and just do just doing that consistently saying saying no matter how terrible they are what could i have done even better mm -hmm. like over the years that that compounds yeah. and 
Uh, you know, we can take that a step further. In fact, I'm going to send this episode, I think, to my team now, which I have amazing teams in all my businesses. I've worked really hard to kind of qualify. I'm not the best manager or leader. I share that on a lot of podcasts. That's one of my weaknesses that I'm learning, um, which is a side note. This isn't even actually this could yeah. help to prevent client horror stories or even horror stories with your team members. Um, taking Clifton Strengths assessment test. What I love about it is it not only shows you like your superpowers of what you're good at, it shows you the blind spots to those superpowers. So the things that could be a negative to like your team or to your clients. So while, you know, I might be able to provide and come up with 15 intricate legal solutions, the blind spot could be that's going to overwhelm the client. And so I really need to narrow it down or, you know, I love it. Absolutely love it. But what you just said, and I think is so interesting, if you're a leader of your business, if you're managing someone, so even if you're managing one person, maybe they're the customer service person, which is probably the most important person <laughs> in the company, um, or if you're the CEO, is when I when we have a client issue that happens, whether it's at like client intake with my customer service or client relations people, I, as a leader, I much prefer when they come to me, again, clients can be clients, right? People are people. But if you come to me with the, and it's on this 50-50 thing we just talked about, if you come to me with almost this attitude as the team member, uh, well, the client's doing A, B, C, and D, but you don't say anything of why you think you could have fixed it or contributed or even a solution to fixing it, that's where I get frustrated, especially if you're the CEO, if you're the manager, because you have 500 things going. I need to see the initiative. I need to see, because you're the one on the ground. So you know better probably than I do what's going to help to resolve that issue or prevent that issue going forward. Um, that This is a lesson that I'm still working on with my team. I'm still cultivating them because I think sometimes they're afraid to speak up. Um, even you know, in this whole 50-50 mindset, they may be afraid to say, oh, our business is 50% 50, 50 responsible or, you know, just the belief because they might think they're inadvertently speaking negatively of the company to you, especially if you're like the owner or leader. So I encourage leaders like, you know, cultivate that open door. You're always going to have limitations that they're, you know, they, they're junior to you, they're your employees, they're your staff. But if you can try to cultivate that as much as possible. So I'll push back on my team sometimes. We just had something, it was just procedural. It wasn't a big, it wasn't a client, could turn into a client horror story. But I was like, okay, what options do you want to provide? That is your ownership. What do you suggest? Instead of me, it also helps to take some mental load off of me a bit. I, uh, well said, feel free to send this to the team. I <laughs> um, when, the way I would turn that is when, when I take off my professional hat and I put on my, my rabbinic wannabe a rabbi, give people, give my friends and I, I advice up and figure stuff, which happens far too often. They come to me, yeah. who knows why I, a bit too often, uh, tell people, uh, tell people that they're asking for, uh, for personal advice. You're not responsible for the trauma, but you are but you are responsible for the healing. I love that. And I like that framing. Like trauma happens, shit happens, and and like and and it happened. You're not who, who is responsible doesn't really matter, but you're the only one responsible for healing yourself, for fixing it. If you, and 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 I meant to use this I, 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 while I usually use this in like personal context, it's it's 100%. another way of framing what you were just saying. Mm -hmm. It's so funny, actually, in the last few years, I have really learned 
someone said that to me, it was one of the best things they could have ever said, but I will say, I'll add on to it though. You're still, whatever you're feeling is still justified, right? You know, it doesn't mean you have to act on it. You have to work through the healing of that. So maybe you get frustrated by a client, maybe they do a chargeback on you or something. And so, you know, and that devastates you financially, it causes all these legal problems for you. You are justified in being upset at them. You're justified in feeling betrayed by a client, but like you said, and this is just a minor example for business, right? We can even look at this bigger on personal traumas, but uh, it's up to you to go, okay, I'm pissed off about this, but how do I prevent this in the future? How do I fix this situation now? How do I lessen the impact to myself, my family, and my team? Um, but your feelings are still valid. They're still, maybe not justified, they're valid. And I think that, you know, this is a, actually a part of a conversation that I wish that was injected more into kind of these client horror story stuff. And in the vein of what you're saying, I probably need to do a better job to my team when they're frustrated, uh, you know, at a client or something, instead of getting into the mechanical of, oh, how do we prevent this, blah, blah, blah mode. I probably need to stop and go, okay, your feelings and your frustrations are justified. How can I help you with that? So noting that down for a lesson for me today. <laughs> um, yes. Love it. That's a great lesson. Now to wrap up, you had a mini client horror story that, that, that you wanted to jump into. Let's, let's continue the fun and do it. Let's do it. So actually everything we've talked about is a good segue into this. Cause one of the things that I've noticed and I want to, I wish I had the time I could make the time, I think to dive in to see why business owners act a certain way as a business owner and they act completely different as a consumer, right? So on the consumer they will end up doing behaviors as a consumer that they complain about as a business owner. And I, I have actually a perfect example of this. Um, I do a lot of copyright infringement work. So with like creatives, photographers, educators online with courses, photographer, uh, photography assets, stuff like that. And so when it gets stolen, people are extremely upset, which hundred percent, I agree. Those are your brand elements. You've paid for it. You're making, you know, you're getting business off of it. And I had a client who, Actually, well, I, I've heard this from multiple people, so it's not going to be anything identifying um, that this happens quite a bit. They come to me and they're like, okay, my intellectual property was stolen. What can we do? And in the very beginning, I've gone through the whole process, the reflection of, you know, what did we do wrong? I said, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm good, but I'm not God. So in a copyright infringement situation, we can send demand letters all day long telling them to stop, you know, getting money, asking for money, demanding money, um, all these other things, but I physically can't force them to. The only other level would be like a judge. And even then a judge can only make a judgment and there's only so far you can do to get monetary recovery. And it sucks, but that's life. So anyhow, this client was very upset because we weren't getting enough of the financial return that they wanted. And I had laid these expectations up front. We worked through a formula based on experience and the circumstances. And this person is an educator in the industry. And so they're also leading others that are very similar to them. And it was just funny how the attitude of my client was, how dare they use my intellectual property and not pay me? They're making, you know, someone was infringing them and making money off of it. But then when we were not able, and we don't promise, but when we were not able to get her a payday, like she expected, she had a decent offer, actually. It was probably more than really was legally, more than I think she would have gotten in court and didn't have to pay court fees and attorney's fees for that. She was irate at us 
and demanded all her money back from us because we she, it wasn't the offer that she wanted it to be. And it just was interesting because it's almost like, hold on, you're mad they didn't pay you for using your IP, but you won't pay me for my time and I still got your results. And so it just, for me, that, that example, and it really wasn't super horror story. For me, right. it was one of those like, we refunded. I'm like, this isn't worth my time. There was an offer on the table. Go run with it. If you want to pursue it, go do it. I've done all this legwork. And it just was easier to not, you know, deal with it and future and the money wasn't worth it. Right. I just was like, just refund them, send them on their way. Cause we have plenty of other clients who appreciate and love. And, um, but I just, I share that to say that I really want to encourage business owners, especially watch how you're treating when you're the consumer, you might be acting in the exact same way that you're upset. Um, we see this sometimes I had digital contract shops and people will be irate that a download that they bought five years ago, they're missing on their drive and they want it immediately, even though we have a portal and it's sitting right there. But then they're in our own group complaining about their clients demanding to have their photographs done immediately. And so it's just, I just share that of, it, it maybe it's not really like a true client horror story, but be vigilant as the business owner. That's how we can affect change um, is helping to change the consumer mindset. You know, we can do all these other mechanical things, but yeah, that wasn't like a huge horror story. It wasn't like ending up in a legal battle. I think that on its own classifies as at least a minor uh, heart horror story. Some comments on that and then the broader implications uh, of your lesson. On that, my question is, did you have any clues while, while it was happening that she would be the type of person that would turn on you when, when it went bad? Yeah. Uh, now it's interesting. Where did yeah. the clues you noticed and paid attention to? Here's the lesson on it though, big name in industry. So I was like, okay, this goes well, then I'll be able to receive. Uh, and I don't want to be too identifying. So I'm in multiple industries and she actually has a family member that's in another industry. So I was like, okay, it would help this brand. It would help that brand. But yeah, I saw the red flags, but I allowed it. And that was also, I think, part of the reason I was fine with the, just the refunding and blessing and releasing type of thing, because I ignored the red flags. I took that responsibility. Oh, that's, I like that. I also like the subtle lesson within the lesson of um, too often because something's a big name that we excuse bad behavior or we ignore we ignore risk factors mm -hmm. um, because no, they're so famous, they're so big. No, I really want it to work because you want it to work because they're, they're, they're famous. You like, it's, it, you kind of subconsciously don't even pay attention. To, to the red flag on top of the red flag on top of the red flag. But I mean, it was kind of a toss up because if, if it had gone the other direction, it would have been accolades, right? So it was almost like a um, lottery. You either lose the money on the ticket or you win. And I lost. And you know, actually what's so unfortunate, oh, I don't know if I should share this. Um, I allowed it to impact me personally. I started to feel very personal about it to the point that I remember where I was standing in the Magic Kingdom at Disney World while on vacation with my family, dealing with it. I'm trying to coordinate with the team back home just to get this chick her money so that I didn't have to 
deal with it anymore. And I said, chick, cause I was going to say another word. I don't really call women chicks, but I was going to say a really <laughs> explicit term because the and it wasn't, it wasn't based on the facts of what I've shared. It was the way and what was said in the words that we were called. So maybe I should put some of that context too. It was the behavior. So it wasn't so much they're upset they didn't get a return. I mean, that kind of graded me a bit. It was the behavior, how she responded to that and made it personal to us. But yeah, and it's unfortunate. I'm really sad that I can... I am a very like vivid contextual person and I can remember where I was standing, what the sun felt like while I'm on my iPhone trying to coordinate to get this taken care of. And I allowed her to do that. That's on me, right? She's responsible for her behavior in this, but I allowed it to infringe on my family vacation. Wow, yeah, that's that's powerful. And, and I agree that being called those words is yeah. like, like, just like, is like is what makes it over the top yeah and um if we're more cynical like we could think that she like called you those words on purpose to want to make you emotional just so you'll be like okay refund no uh, i tend to believe that with this person but most people i think it's not so much to make something happen well i don't know i'm just speaking off the cuff here i think oftentimes we say things out of emotion even if we don't truly believe that um her i hers her behavior was very pointed it was almost like a kid throwing a fit they didn't exactly they didn't get 10 lollipops they only got eight and then they were acted horrible and threw themselves on the floor of the store essentially is what I, I remember, I remember years, 20 years ago, I read some biography of Bill Gates and there's a little scene in it that, that I remember. So in the super early days of Microsoft, there was like 12 people in Arizona in the little office. Bill Gates was like, uh, their head, it's when they're like negotiating with like IBM for the big deal, they create DOS, so it was the big things like, so IBM had their lawyers or, um, or whoever it was, their representatives in their little office in their conference room. And there was a, and one of the other, uh, and Bill Gates probably like went in and, um, and the rest of the team was like outside the conference room and they hear screaming, screaming, screaming. And then, and, uh, and then at some point, Bill Gates co- like comes out from the streaming session to like go to the water cooler and get a cup of water. So one of the other employees, Sam's everybody who's like interviewed in the book, comes, uh, comes up to him and, uh, and he's like, he's like is, every, is everything going, uh, going okay in there? Because um, I, I, I hear all the screaming and Bill Gates really calmly says, oh, of course, it's all going according to plan. And <laughs> it's like, like the fit yeah. was part of his, his negotiation strategy. Right. Uh, yeah. But I, um, but I like, uh, I want to wrap up on the broader point with, uh, you said, uh, you, where this final story told, which is a, a small horror story on its own is um is really is really indicative of i can't think of a better phrase for it but like a flaw in human nature where um and there are a few ways to say it like you you framed it more positively as this double standard uh which 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 on the one hand it is on on the other hand the love of money is a root of all evil like five i can save five dollars by getting this money back and then suddenly like people go crazy over like uh, and and all this bad behavior comes out and I don't know of a good strategy or way to go about uh, fixing this flaw in the in, in 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 the human apple. We bit the apple. Maybe we should like 
grow new apples. <laughs> no, oh, ooh, Granny Smith apples sounds really good right now. Um, <laughs> mm, snack time. No, you know, it's funny as I share this, but we do hundreds of copyright infringement cases a year and we're selective. So we get thousands of inquiries, but we're very selective on what we take because I'm very honest to say, you're going to spend X thousand, you're not going to get X thousand back. So if, unless you're really wanting to come in upside down, I'm very honest with our clients. You know, I could make the money off of it, but it also avoids situations like this too. Like if you're really in it and I get it right. Like if someone was using my IP, they took my podcast or something like that. I want to, I'm rightfully and legally owed that money and you, you're, you're impassioned about it. But I do think that, I think it's important in the grand scheme of this is that oftentimes client horror stories, because they are very real and they can impact all facets of your life. If you look at the broader picture of your business, it's probably only one sliver of it. And especially if you, if it's not just one sliver, go back to this, when we listened to this episode, when we talked about doing like the, you know, the after action reviews and stuff like that. But we had tons who, and I think it's because every single time we, what lessons can we learn out of this? You know, setting the expectation, there's no guarantee telling you what we really think it's going to happen. Um, and I use the exact phrase, like I said here, I'm good, but I'm not God. I cannot force people to pay you. I can't force them to respond. And, and I get it as a consumer, you're looking to me or whatever industry that you're in, they're looking to you as the expert and to guide them. And so it's a fine line and it's something I'm still working on, uh, you know, it, but I just, I encourage, I share this to say that didn't break my business. Right. And she could have gone public. And I, what's really crappy is I legally couldn't respond publicly because I have legal ethics. So I wouldn't have been able to respond mm. other than saying that's not how it happened um, or something. I don't even know if I could say that, but just, just understand that one client horror story is not going to kill you. Now, it also depends on where you're at in business, but it will kill you if you don't develop, strengthen the muscle, develop the maturity and make changes after the horror story happens. That, that is what will kill you. The client won't. It's your refusal or inability to learn from it. These are wise words <laughs> to, uh, to end the podcast on. I, I cannot top that. Awesome. Uh, this and I'm not going to top it. I'm just going to thank you for coming. And everyone who's made it to the end, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I had. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone.